I love the generative moment in a really engaging conversation when the world falls away and you forget time and place. I've had listening as a secret superhero power for as long as I can remember. I think listening helps build a great conversation and real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. It's just the way my brain works. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I've always been uncomfortable with the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. Ava M. Fields is a ghostwriter, horror advocate, and poet who was born and raised in Boston. Her work is fueled by a personal focus on justice, equity, pop culture, and self-preservation. She has been published in four editions of Right on the Dot, self-published her first poetry collection, Repeat After Me, in December of 2020, and in April of 2021, her poem, In the Days That Followed, was selected as part of the Mayor's Poetry Program of Boston, resulting in it being displayed on the walls of City Hall for a full year. Her award-winning project, The Horror Advocate, continues to evolve each day. Currently, she is working to develop an interactive tool designed to track political and social anxieties facing the local community using horror as a data source. She hopes people experience as much catharsis reading her work as she does creating it. She's a very talented young woman, and I'm very excited to have her on today with another guest, Lisa McColgan. Lisa McColgan is a data nerd, Cabot witch, a bongocera in a B-52s cover band called Bikini Whale. Sorry, tribute band. B-52s tribute band. She'd probably be kicking me and giving me the finger right now if I said that. Maker of Creepy Podcast. Uh, she has a podcast called Stay Scary with a co-host, Yin Kiefer. And she is a ne'er-do-well and a malcontent. She's, she's a fabulous writer. Uh, she is a friend. She's ha- actually my landlord. She's married to my landlord. She's my landlady. Um, she is a former redhead. She does wear glasses. We are both from the South Shore. We both went to Emerson. I don't think we're the same person, but the neighborhood people who don't see very well definitely think we are. Um, and I'm very excited to have her on because she knows how to talk at all things horror and uh, definitely poetry and writing. So my co-guest or co-host, I guess, we'll call her co-host, Lisa McColgan. Felicia Ryan and I host this podcast called Hi Felicia and today I have a three-way woohoo that's nasty <laughs> Lisa McColgan who's my friend fellow writer fellow Emersonian and uh, she's a musician she is my landlady and then I also have, I have Ava, Ava Fields who is poet and a horror enthusiast and writer and the three of us today are going to talk about shit. Um, I'm going to ask 
Ava to introduce herself first, and then she's going to tag Lisa, and Lisa will introduce herself and tell us anything that's important for us to know that I didn't already cover. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Ava. Um, I'm born and raised in Boston. Um, that's where I'm from. That's where I do all of my work. I'm a local writer, so I'm from Dorchester, which is a neighborhood in Boston, and a lot of my work goes through local magazines, local journals, and publications. Um, I really like to focus on that. Um, I love horror, I love films, and I love poetry. So those are the things that I mostly focus on, and I'm hoping that we get to talk about some cool stuff today. Yeah, definitely. Tag, Lisa, you're it. Oh, tag. <laughs> I'm Lisa McColgan. Um, I, uh, I'm Felicia's landlady. <laughs> And we just got we just bought them a new furnace, so it's awesome. Is it is it yeah. good? Having good. heat is great. Yeah, having heat is great. Um, so they have a new furnace, and uh, let, let's see. Um, I'm a musician. I'm in a B52s tribute band called Bikini Whale, where I mostly do the Cindy Wilson stuff, and I'm also in a new band as yet unnamed, where I'm playing drums. Um, we don't have a name yet, but we've written two songs so far. I so. think that's very cool. Yeah, you know that's fine. And you're t you're you are my go-to horror enthusiast. I am a, a huge horror fan since since pretty much birth. I, I've said this before uh, on my own podcast. I have a, a podcast that's kind of in uh, on indefinite hiatus right now called Stay Scary, where we talk about themes and tropes in in horror. But uh, I've said many a time that I'm pretty convinced the only reason my mother had children was to have somebody to take to horror movies and sci-fi movies and, and things like that. Um, so a uh, huge horror fan. Uh, born in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, raised in uh, Hull and Hingham on the South Shore, uh, currently living in Malden. And, uh, and I'm a witch. Love it. Did you did you bring your um, tarot? You told me to. Oh, so, awesome! Yeah. Nice. All right. Lisa has thrown cards for me. I don't know if you're into uh, tarot at all, um, Ava, but Lisa's thrown cards for me twice in just a three simple three spread. What is it? Past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. And I had the same three cards both times. No, you, said, oh, you had the same, same two, two cards. Sorry, the same first really? two cards. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little weird. I was that was a little weird, and I was like, "What the f?" But it was very cool, and they were they were excellent cards. Uh, I don't remember. I should have taken pictures both times, but um, yeah, very cool. One of them was definitely three of swords. I do remember that. That's cool. Sword cards. Okay. So if you want it all, uh, not to put Lisa on the spot, but if it, it happens organically, and you want Lisa to throw some cards for you, you let us know. No well. pressure. She just made me bring a deck with me. <laughs> so um, I just loved the intersection. Um, I, I I saw Ava was at a poetry event for Malden Reads where we had our opener, and I loved the poem. One of the poems that you uh, read that had to do talking about sort of like violence and personal violence, and and then. I think that intersection of poetry and horror is a is a really interesting one. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, how you talk about it a little bit, Ava, and then 
have Lisa jump in as well. Because we, I know we kind of chatted pre-recording about this a little bit, but I think it's just a really interesting intersection. Yeah. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely get comments a lot about my poetry being very dark and having a lot of like scary imagery or just things that are reminiscent of like more like nightmares. Um, and I think for me, that comes through in all of my work, whether I'm writing like a short story or whether I was in school doing academic papers, like I always gravitated towards the darker subject matters. Um, I, I try to use my work as a place to kind of delve into that stuff, like a safe haven to like express those kinds of feelings and also for someone else to read it and know that they're not alone in those feelings and that it's important to kind of like to chip away at things like that and not be so nervous that I think that's another reason that I love horror so much and that's why I try to push it because I think people are so distracted by those parts that they can't see the way it's actually like a healing agent and not actually something that can hurt you as much as it seems it should. So I do like to stay in those areas because I think they don't get talked about enough. And I think we live in a culture that really likes to gloss over things and make things nice and happy endings and things that are wrapped up in nice, neat little packages. And my writing is about how that's not how things are and how hard it is to be human and how hard it is to navigate the world that we have. So. That's really powerful. And I've heard you say something almost uh, kind of similar. About yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rabidly against toxic positivity. And uh, <laughs> I uh, just very much um, not into sort of the uh, cultishness of, uh, of, of being positive and, uh, and maintaining a constant positive outlook because it's just not the way life works um as as ava uh sort of said um yeah life is life is dirty life is bloody um and horror is definitely a means of navigating a lot of these feelings um complicated feelings and putting yourself in these sort of I think I think we said I I sort of said this um, or said something to this effect when we were talking you know pre-production about um, how do I want to say this <laughs> big long pause you can edit that out. <laughs> Oh, shit. You know my sound editor is a wrestler too. You know. Well, I mean, I know your sound editor, right? Don't I? No, I have a new one. Oh, you have a new one. Okay, never mind. Uh, his name is Sully Banger. What do I? Sully Banger. I actually pay him by his his wrestling name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and now I've completely forgotten oh, what I was no, going to say. It out of your I head. got I'm all so like sorry. sort of a Sully Banger. Wow. <laughs> um. I yeah I think what I was what I was saying was um that that horror um gives us when we're watching horror it's a means of putting ourselves in these situations um and getting sort of the rush and the adrenaline from these situations 
and almost learning um, how to problem solve through these mm-hmm. situations yeah. by saying, oh, here's what I would do. I would not fucking go upstairs <laughs> by myself. <laughs> Although, let's face it, let's let's keep it a buck. I'm a white woman. Of course, I would, you know, in, in, in the classic uh, horror movie world, you know. Right on up. We are, we are going right up there. We are opening that door because we're white women. Nothing bad ever happens to us. <laughs> am I right or am I right? It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's like such an interesting, like, for me, I think it helps so often with, like, dealing with the actual world that I live in. So for me, it doesn't it doesn't help me personally to, like, to distract my mind from what's going on. Like that doesn't help me necessarily. It, I'm it's effective when I actually have to confront things. I think that's the only way you can really deal with things, and I think that's why I watch so many horror movies and have my whole life because I'm much more of a reality confronter than someone who wants to be like in a dream about things. So, yeah, yeah. I find that they're good blueprints for life. I just find that there's a lot of things that I've learned from watching those movies and not even necessarily in those terms of like problem solving in the moment, but also like I've been able to understand ideas and concepts that maybe I couldn't understand before, like about grief, about like acceptance, about being different, about all these different things that maybe I couldn't fully grasp that before because it's not my life, but a horror film can kind of like, give it all to you at one time and be like, this is the whole situation. These are all the things about it that are, you know, going off and alarm bells and everything. So and power a, and power dynamics. Also yeah. I think it's, it, it teaches you a lot about that. <laughs> it teaches you a lot about power dynamics. There's, Absolutely. A of, there's a lot of resilience too. Like, you know, if it's a, if it's like a, a traditional film where like there's a, you know, a stalker or a killer, it's a it's a relentless the the uh, trying to get to safety or figure out how to not be killed is relentless and there's a sense of resilience like I think when um, we were talking pre-production we were talking about the final girl stuff mm-hmm. and um, and that idea of okay uh, somebody's on fire what do you do you drop through your bed what do you do the killer keeps coming mm-hmm. back what do you do um and resilience is uh is resilience definitely like they've done also just social science things about the fact that it's some people are born innately with some sense of resilience but it's a skill that you can actually build but you have to sort of go through those pathways and create that problem-solving mindset. And like you said, want to confront reality, want to confront. And that's that's hard. That's really hard stuff. I mean, that's yeah. not, it's work, but um, it can be life and death, literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inside horror, mm-hmm. outside of horror, I think. Mm-hmm. What is um, what – what is one of your – favorite characters from a horror movie that you feel like you've learned something from well i mean y'all know how i feel about art the clown man <laughs> oh my gosh i love terrifier that's so good and i know people who and, are going to hear this and have seen that movie are going to be like what but and, it was so good and terrifier 2 is coming out um I know. very soon uh very soon i'm friends with um um 
David Howard Thornton, who plays Art the Clown in the films, um, and uh, I've I've gushed all over him about this. But the thing that I love about Art the Clown is how much he's able to convey being completely silent. I mean, a lot yeah. of horror, you know, your 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 classic horror monsters mm-hmm. are that way. Um, but the way he does it is very much coming from a well a theater background which he definitely mm-hmm. has he's yeah. played uh he's he was on he was in a touring production uh or maybe it was on yeah. broadway you can of, tell of uh, how the how the grinch stole christmas is what was one of his roles but um but it's also very um rooted in silent film like um yep. you know, buster keaton and uh harold lloyd and so i so appreciate um the dread and and menace mm-hmm. Of, of what he does um, as, as Art the Clown. Um, as I've said before, I'm not particularly squicked out by clowns, but that was the first clown that really freaked me out to the point where I had to look up David Howard Thornton and reach out to him and, you know, and befriend him just to find out, you know, like, you're kind of normal, right? I mean, he's kind of normal. Like... <laughs> I need to know. He's a very sweet guy, Uh, and he was actually uh, a guest on Stay Scary, where we uh, talked about clowns. Um, Mm. That was one of the first pandemic uh, episodes that we did, where we 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 called him in New York, where he was like trapped in his apartment. Anyway, that's interesting though. You drilled down and you demystified it, so it wouldn't freak you out. Yes. Yes, and and to and so now I thoroughly enjoy the terrifier, uh, the terrifier experience, um, and very much looking forward to the sequel. I uh, yeah. helped uh, get that. I donated a not insubstantial amount of money to uh, to make sure that that movie got made because I'm just yeah. like hot damn, <laughs> give me more art to clown. <laughs> As far as protagonist, um, you know, I, I I think I always go back to Nancy in the first uh, uh, yep. uh, the first uh, Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Amazing. Street. Yeah. What about you, Ava? Do you have a person or a creature or? Uh, um. Well, I guess if if I'm picking just like from the classic heavy hitters of who my favorite antagonist is and. It's a tie, probably, between Leatherface and Jason, probably, mm. for me. Um, when I think about a protagonist... Well, it's interesting, because I really like Jennifer from Jennifer's Body. Uh-huh. First of all, that movie is completely misunderstood. <laughs> That's number one. And I really love that movie because of the way they do that character, because she's both... Um, She's both antagonist and protagonist throughout the entire film, like regardless of the circumstances. And she's probably my favorite character in a movie in like a couple of years. Like, I just think that was a really well-written character because it's also, you can tell that that was also like a poignant move by Megan Fox because it's almost like about her. Mm -hmm. It's like she got to take her real life and kind of like put it, like explain things to us like through this character and through this movie and i think it is easily one of the the most comp complicated and like 
layered horror films that's come out in a long time. And I say that especially because if you've seen Jennifer's Body, but you didn't watch all the way through the credits, then you didn't see the end of Jennifer's Body. Mm -hmm. So you don't really understand Mm -hmm. the movie. That's the thing. It's like if you didn't stay there, then you're not really getting how this literally wrapped itself up so perfectly and had such a great message. And I just, I, I always tell people, like, watch again, try it again. It's very misunderstood. So she's probably my favorite in the last, like, decade or so in terms of a protagonist. Yeah. It's funny because I think I, um, I think I didn't realize until I started hanging out with Lisa how much horror and sci-fi that I watch or read mm-hmm. or have been exposed to. Um, because having grown up in this area, Lisa and I were exposed to the Creature Double Feature, which used to be on Saturdays on Channel 56. Channel 56. Dog, yeah. So I used to watch all mm-hmm. of that stuff. So, like, really old school classic like mm-hmm. horror movies. Like, there was the one with the, I think it was a Vincent Price one with the lady in the head. She was just the head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. Or just like the hand. Or like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that was. I love that. And they were uh, they used to play all the Christopher Lee uh, Hammer yeah, Dracula movies, yes. um, yep. and then the Japanese you know monster movies, uh, Gamera and Godzilla. Yep. And my brother and I were obsessed with that. Like yeah. we had tur- we had turtles, and they were named Gamera, and like we always wanted a turtle that we could ride in the, in their mouth. Like we wanted, like of course you want to ride. <laughs> In a, a turtle's mouth. I still do. <laughs> but like, I was really like, I was very like, I, I I felt bad for the creature for the black lagoon. He just wanted a yeah. friend. Or the it, creature from the black lagoon is a tragic figure. Like that's and yeah, we, we that's been brought up on Stay Scary. I think it's uh Johnny mm-hmm. Johnny Woodard who was uh who is a, a regular guest um, who talks about. You know he is a he is a tragic figure, and a lot of them are. Uh, Phantom of the Opera. A lot of them are. Yeah, you know, Fat Phantom of the Opera. Um, right. If you dig into those stories, it's like, is this a villain? And that's what I like about horror. Like, is it because like all of this other stuff is happening? And any one of any bad? one of us could turn. Any one of us. Yeah, could that's become... what those movies say. It's like well, one that... bad situation, and <laughs> any you. any one of us could be the werewolf. You know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. also what, uh, when we were talking about Midnight Mass. Yes. Like, I really found yep. that really interesting where the two characters, every you know, everyone in the town had been turned at that point, and the, the husband and wife said, have you eaten anyone yet? And they were like, no, I haven't. And they were like, I think it's a choice. And I thought, like, that was the first time in, like, any movie that had anything to do with vampires that I had ever, mm-hmm. like, kind of felt that conflict i guess the choice to mm-hmm. hang on to whatever humanity is yeah. left yeah and that's mm-hmm. you know that's also very much um interview with the vampire with yep uh, that's Anne exactly Rice what that's Louis. about yeah it's a lot about he's not he's trying to figure that out like is it even is there a point to this can i even do it like is it already over <laughs> yeah i find too the lot of the um i think Ava, you had said this earlier when we were talking, when we were talking about like post-apocalyptic movies, and it's mm-hmm. a lot about survival. It's a lot about like, yeah. like watching zombie movies. I, I've, 
I've definitely, you know, been a fan of Walking Dead and and gone back and re- reread comics and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like I'll be sitting in a room and I'll be like, how would I get out if they started coming in the window or like, <laughs> like, like looking at a broomstick in a different way? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, what could be a weapon if I had? <laughs> My cousin Mike and I have always maintained that the best place to hide out, at least in the first few days of a zombie pandemic, the best mm-hmm. place to shelter is in a hardware store. Absolutely. Yeah. You got everything Absolutely. you need in a hardware store, even snacks, man, especially if it's like a Home True. Depot. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that. You got snacks. snacks, You got, you know, weapons. You got wood. Um, But then further into a zombie pandemic, and that's going back into, you know, do you you hang on to Mm -hmm. humanity or at least the version of humanity that you'd, you know, grown accustomed exactly. to or yeah. do you the go oh, and you understand or do you go full negan you know mm-hmm. do you go full yeah negan? do you just lose it are you just like it's over like i can do whatever like just let I'm, it all go i'm like two <laughs> iphone versions away from like full I'm negan close. like <laughs> i'm close if i had I like if if i didn't you know i'm like you know maybe an iphone 8 you know anything <laughs> anything pat anything before iphone 8 and i'm i'm eating people yeah, it's funny I'm not gonna because you do think you do start to question like, you know, how do I adapt my notion of who I am mm-hmm. in such a severe situation? Like, how do you how do you how would you grapple with that, Ava? I mean, it's kind of kind of what's happening to all of us right now a little Got bit. Out. It's like. How do I maintain who I am? How do I like make my moral stick and my values and like maintain this with in total chaos that is basically baiting me to lose it? It's it's very hard. It's like you don't really know what to do. And a lot of times the answer is freezing, which I think a lot of people have done right now. It's like you're just not moving at all. You're not trying anything. You're too scared to even like deal with it. But, I mean, I think about that a lot if something major happened, and I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I, ha- I would probably have a hard time because I, I am very compassionate and sensitive to other people, so I would probably have a hard time just going full Negan right away. Like, I'd probably be more like a Glenn. Everyone's an empath until they go a week without electricity. <laughs> This is probably true. I would probably not be able to take that because I use movies to keep my myself in check. So without them, I can't say what I would do. Honestly, my chakras are aligned, and unless I can't get the coffee beverage that I want, yeah, I'd be I'd be a mean person without my coffee. Um, Holy shit! Oh yeah. I'd no. be a really, really mean person. I've just recently finished. Did you guys watch Station Eleven at all? Station Eleven, no. Um, I haven't seen any of that yet. Wow, it it was so good. Because um, I was thinking Archive our... Eighty One. That was the series yeah, that we just wrapped up, and that ending made me like want to throw shit at the TV. But I digress. Go on, <laughs> Station Eleven. Station Eleven is it's not. I don't know. I mean, I think horror uh, people always think it has to be blood and guts, and this was 
It had to do with post-apocalyptic. There was a big flu. A bunch of the population died. And it's the story of this one person. And um, But the center of it is that, like, the arts are the thing that survive. Music is the thing that survives. Um, how people are connected is the thing that survives. And Station Eleven mm -hmm. is this comic book that she holds and carries around and it's like a connection between a bunch of the different characters but then it also becomes almost like the bible and mythology that people start to live mm -hmm. through interesting um it's it's very complex i really want to read the book because i think it's it was a really fascinating take it was a female director of the whole series um and a lead character that was a woman it, I don't know. It was just, it was a lot about uh, this troop of kind of like, you know, artists <laughs> who, mm. who end up kind of continuing to connect civilization and, you know, how we make, um, how we make our tribes, who we end up, um, who we end up with, who, how do we create our families mm. of people who are not you know, necessarily blood relatives. I, it just, mm. a lot of interesting themes in it. Is there some other horror genre or subgenre or story that you can think of that had a lot of that, that kind of bigger themes about life? Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like as an entire franchise is oh, sure. essentially about like the, like the effect of destroying the working class. It's like the effect of like, if you're going to do that and you're going to not make things for people, like make things easy for them or keep things going. Cause the whole idea in that film is that this town basically has nothing because what they had like stopped, you know, very similar to what happened in Detroit with the like automotive stuff. Like it just stopped. And so this place has nothing. And so those films, regardless of what's going on, they're always political because they're trying to, delve into a new chunk of that every time like i just watched the new one that came out was it the best no but they did a really good job of of making it clear what this film was about and how that same narrative about like working class people and like what's happening in this country like how it evolves like every time they make a new movie i feel like they address it in an evolved way mm -hmm. so i've heard that some one, people definitely i've heard some people argue about uh the new texas chainsaw massacre i mean yes. most people are very pleased with it because the kills are pretty good um yeah. but the messaging uh there's people who who balk at that and it's and I've told this story. I belong to a Facebook group, Salem Horror Fest, and um, mm -hmm. well, which is you know the the Salem Horror Fest, and um, it's run by a trans woman, and the Facebook page can get a little political. Um, yeah, and there are invariably there's somebody i was just following this page to learn more about salem and get into the horror but you're making it all it's all politics all the time right and, I, and, nope. and just like dude horror is political it is that's what it is and people don't want <laughs> to hear that they said what do you mean horror is political i'm just like that's the point of it horror is political like i don't yeah it's very very hard i mean i'm sure that you understand this too especially like as a woman for me to stand and tell tell you what it's really about that usually doesn't go well it's usually an argument it's usually like contentious but that's the truth they're that's what they are for that's how they came to be 
that was the point, you know? It's like the equivalent of like a fairy tale. Like right. is Little Red Riding Hood actually about Little Red Riding Hood? You know, it's like that's what horror films are. Like, no. It's not really about a guy in your dreams who has knives for fingers. Like that's not really what we're talking about. So yeah, it's hard for people to accept that. They can be both fun and political because that's kind of how I felt. I was like, yeah, those kills were awesome. Some of the best I've seen in a long time. Definitely they nailed that, no problem. But there was also parts of it that were very much like, hey, we also need to be like making certain choices in casting to make certain things clear. Mm-hmm. It's it's very it's strategic and people don't understand that fully about horror, that it's all strategy. Right. And if you look at like you know, look at look at the Romero movies. Look at look at the look at the right. the Living Dead movies. And, exactly. And, I'm like and I have talked about this a lot, um, just both amongst groups of friends and, and on the podcast, is that look at look at political upheaval and, you know, mm-hmm. political problems in this country and how they run parallel to to the popularity of zombie movies yep. books. You know, mm-hmm. with the first Night of the Living Dead it mm-hmm. dealt with it dealt with yeah. segregation it dealt with cold war and as those movies have progressed you know with the uh, with is it is it dawn of the dead that's in the shopping mall you know yeah, consumerism consumerism uh reaganism trickle down yeah. economics and then there was um city of the dead which yeah city of the dead is like awesome. hello that was trump you know that that you know that was uh uh god who was playing the guy who ran the uh the the building where everybody the rich people got to like live in this this high rise oh dennis hopper der um yeah it's Dennis Hopper, and so all the rich, if you were wealthy and could pay to get into this Trump Tower-like structure where you could still eat nice food, you could still go mm-hmm. shopping, you could still get mm-hmm. that Louis Vuitton bag, yep, you're but in a everybody else lived yep. in these, you know, Hoover, you know, like Skid Row shanty towns you know eating street food and yeah and and that was very that was that was that was trump before you know trump even entertained the idea of running for president yeah like the movies are almost prophetic they're just it's like they that genre and the people who work in that genre who by the way get absolutely no credit and definitely not the respect they deserve there is some really awesome art and creativity happening in horror and it just goes undiscussed like unacknowledged all the time because people have a really antiquated idea of like what a horror film is or like what its purpose is or what it means so it's just the nicest people you will ever meet are at horror cons like the the artists Mm -hmm. The directors, the actors, you mm-hmm. go to a horror like con. People. They are the nicest fucking people. Pardon me. Yep. <laughs> but they are the nicest fucking people. It's just so crazy all the time. I'm like, yeah, the nicest people I know, though, like, love those movies. Love them. Like, 
So and people in recovery yeah. love them. I've talked about that too. Like almost yes. uh, so, some of the biggest horror fans I know are people who are in recovery. I've been yep. in recovery for uh, close to twenty years now, and I know so many great people who are also super into horror. Yeah, definitely. So do I, and I do too. And I, I remember when they did the oh, when they remade Evil Dead. Yeah, that's what I loved so much about that remake is that they were able to take like the narrative of addiction and then like really make it work. Like, they, yep. I thought they did an awesome job with that, like really going into like her own willpower and like that scene where she. I mean, spoilers if you've never seen it. I'm sorry. <laughs> the scene where she like physically like cuts off her own arm. Yep to get away from it's like literal severing like i have to do it this way or i'm not going to be able to do it at all just yeah i thought it was it was an awesome remake one of the few that honestly can stand by itself in my opinion yeah it's really good that was a good remake that was a good remake mm-hmm. now how do you guys reconcile or you know advocate for the idea that uh or maybe this is my misunderstanding is that the horror genre is not super diverse or super inclusive. That's always tough um, because it is still um, very much Mm -hmm. the realm of the white dude. Um, It's slowly, but surely becoming changing. It is changing. It it's is changing. Slow, though. It but it's it's slow going and it's also hard sometimes to defend, you know, mm-hmm. what is let it's it's misogynistic. Right. It's very much misogynistic. Right. Um but there are remakes and reboots that are sort of mm-hmm. turning the table on that. Um Ava, I know yeah. you wanted to talk about the remake of Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I was just that was I that, was blown away. They did some really interesting uh, things with that, uh, twisting yeah. that um, slasher in the woods, mm-hmm. um, you know, storyboard in some really interesting and and pretty hilarious ways. Yeah, they did some cool stuff with that. So did you write? I didn't have like huge expectations, so it was nice. I was like, "Oh, this is definitely—it's kind of its own thing. It really is." I, I didn't mind it that much. I thought it was pretty decent, especially for like if you just look at all of the reboots or remakes that have happened. Like that one is not the worst, not even close. No, no, and it's (laughs) you know like not even close. So yeah, pretty good. Had you written something that you wanted to share about it? That that did have to do with that film or was it something about another uh, female horror director oh yeah sure um yeah i i would like to share it if that's well with everyone please Um, do please do okay um yeah so i wrote this after i watched the remake of slumber party massacre um so i'll just start uh okay the slumber party massacre by me Reimagining Amy Holden Jones's work sparks the remembrance that a woman's place is in horror. Jones managed a Trojan horse by turning a slasher into a subversive conversation about safety and numbers, female autonomy, and living with the inevitability of violence. In 2021, Danishka Esterhazy 
brought this infamous slasher back to life with a relevant update fitting for today's socially strained echo chamber. A wholly original film at the time, The Slumber Party Massacre 1982 works as a horror comedy that addresses anxiety around the increased visibility of serial killers in American society. The film centers around a girls' basketball team and a night of curated horror. In the film, the girls are being stalked by an escaped madman. There's no real motive or driving force known to us other than his thirst for destruction. Known as the Driller Killer, he terrorizes and fixates at random, but overwhelmingly attacks women. Jones uses the film to explore the terror of being female in 1982, especially coming off the sadistic reigns of Ted Bundy and the Hillside Stranglers, who terrorized the country in the decade prior. The American female psyche was reeling from this reality, suddenly understanding that they were being hunted for being fundamentally themselves. Jones took this realization and worked it out on the screen. Although the female characters are being picked off one by one, there's still an implicit denial and willful ignorance to the chaos. One of the film's most infamous scenes sees the pizza delivery man killed and his body sprawled in the common area. Three of the girls find him, and while two of them fret over the situation, one of them is only concerned with whether the pizza is cold because, quote, life goes on after all, end quote. <laughs> the moment plays out... <laughs> The moment plays out the mental disconnect and naivete that was a popular response at the time to what seemed a surrealistic nightmare only possible on the screen. The film acts as a source of reprieve as it allows one to confront the real horrors of life without coming up against an imminent danger. Danishka Esterby's remake of the film is a brazen response to the original. For one, the cast is representative of a more diverse culture. There are intentional representations in race and sexuality. This um, lets a wider range of viewers attach themselves to the scenario. It's saying we're all in this together. In the original, the girls are presented as naive and so addicted to the fantasy that they can't sense danger until it's too late. In the 2021 version, the girls descend upon the scene of an infamous massacre to confront the trauma head-on. The lead character, Hannah, has convinced her friends to go to the site where her mother defeated the driller killer 28 years ago. His body was never found. In an effort to explore generational trauma, Hannah intends to, quote, get her mother's life back by hunting the hunter and ending the cycle. The film takes the strategy of the original one step further. While the original asks us to pay attention or to see our reality for what it really is, the remake asks us to confront the reality with reckless intention, a message echoed by our current culture wave of facing your truth head-on and pushing through your trauma to the other side. While the remake is not a slow-born... Wow. While the remake is not a slow burn toward a force, it is a poignant moment in horror history, reminding us that safety is not in numbers, but in taking stock of the past. Mm. Some thoughts I had after I watched it. Right. That was certainly feeling. I feel like I got a, got a master class. You, so you write, 
Um, I was just going to say, uh, tell me about how, how how and why you write about horror. Like, where, where can people find your work? And um... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, um, my horror work uh, is mostly in the first book I wrote. So I wrote something in 2019 called Curse of the Thorns, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, and that is a multi-genre collection. So it has poetry that I've written. It has short stories that I've written. It has horror articles that I've written. And it also has, I like to write kind of like those teaser um, review things, like just a quick sentence or two, like that captures the film. So I have a bunch of those in the book as well. And I'm planning to expand my project a lot more this year. I have some ideas about, turning it into a more interactive experience. So I'm hoping that in the coming year, or at least early 2023, I'll have more stuff happening around that. So is it it's similar to what Lisa was saying, the idea of like taking what's happening in society and kind of tracking trends and relating that to horror films? Yeah, I think, yeah, it would that would definitely be part of it because I think, like, because we were just talking about how you can, you can almost understand society if you watch the trend and like what horror film is popular at the time, or like what you know category or subgenre is like really taking off. You can almost like read that into actual society. So yeah, I'm definitely trying to work and develop my own tools that would allow these films to actually, or the popularity of them to be useful in terms of like addressing community issues so that's sort of what i'm like working to design right now it's still in like beginning stages but i have a good feeling about about it it sounds really interesting Mm. and lisa's a data nerd so i like data (laughs) (laughs) Mm. yep what do you think is a popular trend right now that you're seeing Um, I think one thing I've noticed pretty clearly, especially over the last year, year and a half, is this this dedication to, like, looking to women in their older years. Like, because, like, we have to look at Halloween Mm -hmm. and then the new Texas Chainsaw. And then you could even argue Slumber Party Massacre, the remake, they're all films about a woman who this happened when she was younger, but we're, we're seeing her take her power back in her later years. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's something intense behind that because like right now it is such a strange moment. Like everyone's very confused. It's like people are living in the past mentally, like Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, people are not present in a lot of ways. And I think there's a lot going on there in the horror world where they're trying to like reach back and be like, what, what can we take from things that already happened and how can we apply that now? And how do we like make sure that your age doesn't determine your usefulness? It seems like that's really coming up a lot. Like age and usefulness are not these mutually exclusive things. Like you can't just say, because I'm this old. I can't fight Leatherface because I did, (laughs) you know, just something as simple as that. But I do find that that's repeating over and over, especially in the last two years. Or the difference between the maiden and the crone, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
how both have their strengths and both yes. uh, can uh, employ those uh, those strengths to their advantage. And, you know, I think what we're seeing, which is, you know, just another variation of what we always see in horror and what's going on um, politically and or socially is mm-hmm. a lot of horror deals with um, our inherent fear of loss of autonomy yep yep yeah i mean that's like what possession films are all about right like, possession yeah. films zombie films you're um, out of control you yeah have no control yeah and yeah you you've lost your say in how how you're living or 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 not living as the case right may be. or being treated or like all those things are come into question yeah so um we talked a little bit about how you're you use you know certain kinds of language in your poetry are there um poets out there that you like that you know might bring in horror i mean i know i can think of poe as one but um do you have someone who's on your hit list that you go to or somebody new that you've Mm. discovered or I mean, Edgar Allan Poe's number one. Yeah, but. I mean, Poe is Poe is the big <laughs> one, obviously. That. Everybody knows Poe. Um, but in terms of contemporary poetry, um, yeah, and we've had you know we've had a couple of writers on Stay Scary, um, and uh, not but not poets per se. Um, yeah. I think poetry's starting to have a moment, and maybe that's just because I've rediscovered it and have started writing more poetry in the last couple of years. But I, I don't, if you had asked me in my 20s or 30s or 40s about writing poetry, I probably would have laughed at you. However, <laughs> I find it, um, you know, maybe I'm lazy, maybe it's an easier format for me, maybe. Um, it flows better, but I, I like the idea of using a lot of different genres and having poetry be one of those. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it, it um, it's definitely lent itself, especially during COVID uh, pandemic and shutdown to be writing some mm-hmm. sad ass frustration poetry. Right. And I think, um, I think form, uh, you know, certain forms of poetry can lend themselves. I- I'm thinking uh, specifically of like, um, like a Sestina or um, right. that where you can really um, play with words um, mm-hmm. and, and write, some effective horror movie uh, horror movie horror poetry um within the confines as it were of of a of a form that has very specific rules yeah i haven't attempted to do that but if i were to go back and look at not my free verse but at my attempts to do more um structured uh, poetry, I could mm-hmm. probably tease out like some fairly horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, like just my notebooks from 1993—that's pure horror right there. But um, do you? Um, is your poetry always prose, or do you do you follow format? 
Uh, I am a notorious, I don't believe in rules kind of artist. I'm a very (laughs) notorious, like, that messes with my process. However that poem comes to me is how it's going on that page, and I'm not changing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I just, I'm a firm believer that, like, when something comes to me like that, it's that's not supposed to be edited. Yeah, I would agree with that too. That's exactly how I follow it. I'm very terrible at rules, and um, if you give me a rule, <laughs> I'll, I'll break rules. it. So, um, yeah, I have a, I've, I'm not really, you know, I'm not a huge swearer, but I'm not a, you know, I'm not prissy by any means, and um, I hang out with Lisa for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had a couple of poems that had um, fuck in it, and it was an expression of frustration, and um, I got a little pushback on one of them having submitted it for a, a, an exhibition that's coming up. And um, for Valentine's Day, my husband gave me a ring that says fuck, so I thought that that was... It can be a statement, it could be an invitation, it could be frustration, it could be a bunch of different things. It could be fuck off, it could be... Yeah, it's literally the best word in our language. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It has multiple uses, multiple impacts. I love profanity. Um, I have no issue with it. I I, I will say that I enjoy rules um, when it comes to to poetry because I do like the challenge. It is a challenge to write a villanelle. It is a challenge to write a sestina. Um, And I like that challenge. But... I do, yeah, I mean, I do write a lot of, I I belong, I was on a website once several years ago, Um, it was, uh, was it five by, it was like five by five, or or it was like, there were five of us, and now I can't remember the name of the site, but I'll remember it and tell you later, but it was, uh, there were five of us, and uh, each one, it was each poet or writer had a day in which they would, you know, produce something and so I don't remember what my day was but um I had a lot of poetry up there and um I uh will have to pull some of that down but um I did I did find that some of my best work in my opinion came mm-hmm. out of me um working with a very strict set of rules and that's not to say that I'm against free verse um I, I'm not at all um and I've written a lot of free verse, but I have really enjoyed, like, especially when you take something like a, like a Villanelle or a Sestina and take a really absurd topic. So you like that challenge? I do like that challenge. Because you're, you like to pour your chaos into a container. I do. I, I'm a big fan of organized chaos. <laughs> yes. I understand that. And I, I want to, like, put all my stuff out on the table and, like, rearrange a little bit, but I don't want to mess too much with it. Because I think I used to be more of a container writer. And it, I, mm. I but, you know, like, we do prompts frequently in our writers group, and I like that challenge of uh, writing writing in response to something because i i think of my work and my writing as a conversation so i don't necessarily picture who's on the other end of that but i enjoy the idea that somebody else is reading it and seeing something in it that i didn't realize was was there or connecting dots or you know i definitely write with 
um, Easter eggs in mind. So five by five hundred was the name of the website. I remember your I work. I feel like yes. you had Wednesdays. I feel like that was the day. I think it, it might have been out. Wednesdays. Yeah. Lisa's a good writer. She's very interesting. I like that you're very authentic. I like that you're very real. I like that you're. I like that you're raw. Sometimes I think that that's that's compelling to me. People who are too polished and too sewed up it's that's not interesting to me and i don't think that's real you know oh i'm messy i mean i'm definitely messy um but you know i also like putting that mess in a nice structured way to make people think more about mess mm. how do you describe your evolution of your writing ava um i mean i think I definitely think some, well, something definitely unlocked in my brain in 2019. I've always been a writer. I've, I've been writing my whole life and I've always tried to like publish my writing and things like that. So there's nothing really new there, but it, it felt like something kind of happened in 2019. And actually one of the stories that I tell people, because this is what happened to me in 2019, is I got a 4K TV for the first time. And the first movie I watched on the 4K TV was Midsommar. Oh! That was a mistake <laughs> because ever since I did that, my eyesight has been, like, ruined. Huh. Because that movie is daylight. So it was, like, all daylight and, like, a 4K TV that you've never looked at before that you just stared at for, like, an hour and some change. So something happened to my eyes, and to this day, I have this problem. But what I found so interesting about it was that, like, that movie is literally about empathy. It's literally about being so affected by someone else's pain that you're, like, it's physical. And so I thought that was very telling that it literally, like, took my eyesight down a bit. Um, and I don't know. I feel like after that, I was writing, like, nonstop. It was the strangest thing. Like, after my eyes got messed up, I wrote, like, 84 poems in, like, a year or something. Like, wow. I was nonstop writing, and it was so weird. Because I was like, I can't really see that well. Huh. But I can't stop writing these poems. And, like, yeah, my my partner has been, like, in the beginning, he had to read everything to me. TV, like, if it had subtitles, I couldn't read that. Like, it's just really fascinating how that all went down. And so Damn. It's, it's almost like something got unlocked in my brain because now I find it very easy to just kind of let whatever's in there just like comes to me and I'm like, okay, and I can just put it down. It's almost like it's automatic weird. writing. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, but it's wild. that's definitely been, I've always been a writer. So it's always been something that I love, something that I wanted to do. I always wanted to be a writer regardless of whatever else I did in my life. But my writing has definitely taken like a new step in the past couple of years, I think, because I just sort of decided I wasn't going to wait for somebody to tell me that it was good enough. Yeah. I guess I got to the point where I was like, I can't wait anymore for someone to find me and be like, this is awesome. You should put this somewhere. Like I just had to do it myself. That's awesome. And wow. so that definitely made my writing evolve because I wasn't, feeling like I was doing it for anybody else. Yeah. I was just doing it. Yeah. And that's why you self-published too? Yeah. I mean, I was, I didn't really try that hard to get published prior to 
prior to that. Like, I mean, I wanted it, but I was still very like, you know, insecure and like nervous. And I wasn't sure if people would get it. I was like, people are going to read this and be like, what is wrong? With yeah. More and more, more and more, you don't need to follow the traditional path of, you know, you yeah. write something, you find a literary agent, like all the stuff right. that I was taught when I was in grad school at Emerson yep. back in the mm-hmm. <laughs> cough, cough, early nineties, <laughs> uh, early to mid nineties. Um, all of that very much overwhelming, you know, and here, you know, you have to buy the magazine that lists all of the literary agents. Right. And, and, and my apologies if anybody here listening is a literary agent. Asian, but you know i'm sorry sorry not sorry but more and more people are going that route and you're also you also you're also seeing that in music yes um yep. you know you're just lots of independent artists in music right now like that's been booming over the past couple of years yeah i mean patreon has like kind of and that sort of you know crowdfunding and fan funding mm-hmm. thing yep has changed the game like you know Kristen hirsch has been able to put out like so much stuff just by herself without the aid mm-hmm. of yeah you know the traditional system and without somebody like getting to put your work through like a like a you know an exercise it's like no 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 yeah. that's how it is like like sim- just the idea that no one's going to come along and be like oh you can't publish it like that Ava. like yes i can cuz i'm doing it it's just sure. even that just the ownership and of your own work it's so important and, and it people pre prepackaged and processed mm-hmm. and and thought about in a way that perhaps you yeah like you're saying you you're losing your the the autonomy the ownership of the work i i'm more and more the first guest i had on this year was a uh, self-published he wrote a book about Malden that had to do with true crime and um, and he said you know he didn't even think about really uh, going traditional publishing route because he wanted to own the work yeah he wanted it to be right. wholly his and yeah. um, I, I very much respect that uh, point of view and the writers group I belong to the Malden Writers Collaborative we are actually putting out a chat book this year we oh, cool. were able to get some grant money for that so um, I, you know, this is, t- tell me again about some, um, local writers and publishers and musicians that you w- want to support, um, or that you are supporting, uh, they're a really great local literary journal. Um, and they specifically source writing from Dorchester and the MFA program at UMass. Great. So it's, all completely local, probably seen you a couple of times <laughs> just in the neighborhood, um, writers. And so I think the first time I got published in there was 2018. Yes, 2018 was the first time that I, like, really an attempt to, like, put my writing out there, I remember, because that was the first thing I did. And it actually got accepted, and I was like, okay, didn't expect that. <laughs> Not sure what to do now. And then they had the reading, and I got to do that. And then after that, I was like, well, I guess I'll try again. And I just kept every time that they ask for submissions, I keep trying. So, yeah, I think four different um, editions I have poetry in or story. It's mm-hmm. so important for artists to have that foundation. We're lucky here in Malden that we have a bunch of different types of organizations like Lisa and I are recording here at UMA, which is our local media mm-hmm you know, broadcast folk 
place. They host exhibitions for local artists. I'm part of an organization called Malden Reads. Our book f- selection for this year is a book of poetry by Joy Harjo called American Sunrise. And then there's Malden Arts, which is another organization, Malden Cultural Council, which mm-hmm. underwrites my program. There's, you know... I'll put another shout-out for some studios, uh, which is a, a ever-growing um, rehearsal uh, space studio, um, which is sorely needed uh, for, for local bands and uh, local musicians. Uh, we have a space there. Um, a lot of other great bands have a space there. And uh, Bobby Logan, who runs some is a great resource uh, for the community, and uh, he did a great job uh, this past summer when we had the series of outdoor concerts, um, wrangling bands together to uh, to provide live music for yeah. those um, for those street festivals. Absolutely. Uh, my husband is in a band called the Daylilies. They practice actually at some studios. Um, Lisa and I are grew up on South Shore, but we're both married to. Um, uh, people who grew up in Malden, so <laughs> it's like it's like full circle kind of things. Um, yeah, it's uh, I don't know finding a home in a local arts community wherever you are is such an important mm-hmm. thing. And if there's not one, start one. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Because then you can find your weirdos and misfits and uh, inspiration. And um, how do you connect, actually? do Is there anything local for you where you connect around horror? Um, honestly, the only thing that really I was able to do that with was um, when I started my uh, the Horror Advocate, that project. I started that, I think, in 2020. And... It was basically a live reading and talk series where, like, I invited people to come and, like, just kind of listen to me talk about different things. And that was, I basically did what you just said. I had to create it because that's, like, I don't, there's no one, like, locally who's, like, really into this the same way I am. So I kind of just, like, made something with that project to, like, create my own community because I was pretty successful with it, more than I thought I would be because my goal was to just, like, demystify everything like everything that you think you know if you're not a horror fan everything you think you know just forget about it (laughs) like so that was the goal of my project and it went pretty well because even my stepdad who like he took me to horror movies when I was growing up okay because I wanted to go to every single one so he definitely took me but he was never like into them he didn't get it he didn't understand and ever since I started doing that he'll like call me and be like oh, this movie's coming out. Like, what do you think that's really about? Or like, I was thinking this. Do you think that's going on? And it's like, that's my, that's exactly what I want. I want it to become something that you can like think deeply about, not something that you're just, it's not surface. And that's right. what I'm trying to like eliminate. I'm trying to get rid of this idea that that is the whole genre is just the surface issue. No, they're deeper than all of your dramas and all of your foreign films and all of it. Way deeper, way more complicated. I would, I will stand on that always. Oh and yeah, that's totally. what I'm trying to accomplish. Totally just to agree. Get that across. <laughs> and that's yeah, what. I mean, think about something as simple as the Oscars. Like, how is that the only genre of film you won't even talk about it? You won't even talk about it. No. How? No, it very rarely. How do you comes get away up. with that? 
It very rarely comes up. Um, it's it, outrageous. Like it's I'm like, thinking, I'm thinking maybe when 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 Betty and Joan, uh, you know, did whatever happened to Baby Jane, and I think uh, I think Betty mm-hmm. got the nomination. Uh, yeah, that was like a big scandal, and Joan didn't get the nomination, yep. but she offered to stand in and accept the Oscar if. Um, Oh gosh, played Annie Sullivan in um, in the Miracle Worker and Bancroft. She's like, well, you know, if you win the Oscar, you know, I'll because that was just Joan. Um, right. And that's the topic. That's that J- Betty and Joan uh, are. You know, if once we get uh, stay scary up and running, um, my my co-host Yin Kiefer has been very busy. Speaking of uh, Malden Arts, has been very busy uh, getting off, uh, getting uh, getting off. <laughs> Hi, Yenny. <laughs> Do you miss me? Um, she has been getting uh, Malden's first porch fest off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be happening in June. So she's a very busy girl. So we haven't uh, done a new episode lately. But we do have like a whole bunch that are out there. And you can listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. And um, we're filthy. I should just warn anyone who's listening. Uh, I've I've I dialed it way the fuck back for this episode, but yeah. Felicia's been a guest. Felicia's been a guest, and and it gets it gets it gets raunchy on 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 our podcast. But um, we do uh, one thing I wanted to do is uh, is, is an episode on. Betty and Joan and and the psycho mm. psycho biddies and how like you know the yeah. end of their careers um, are all horror movies. And yeah. some of them know, are pretty good. Jacket, some of them hush, are pretty hush, good. Exactly. Yep. And some of them. Oh, <laughs> hush, hush, sweet. Hush, hush, yeah, that's a good one. <gasps> so I love that one. That does not get talked about. Enough. That's, that's a good a one. Good one. Um, <laughs> but that's an episode, you know, that uh, maybe we'll, once we're, once we're back up and running again, maybe that's the one that we'll, uh, that we'll, that we'll start off cool. with. But, you know, we've talked about menstruation in horror movies. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, that's a big theme. Uh, puberty, oh, yeah. Catholicism, yep. um, you know, and. Puberty huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is like covered all the time. Hello, The Exorcist. Um, right, uh, Ginger Snaps. Ginger the Snaps. Girl. <laughs> Ginger Snaps. Uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrie. Um, yeah. Women you, coming into their own. Have you guys watched yeah. the uh, new series Yellow Jackets? Not yet. Yes. Oh my I'm god. I'm still making my good way through stuff. all You got to do it. I know, but it's I'm good. still making my way through all of us are dead, which is really fucking okay, good. Okay, that's awesome. So, okay, finish that. Really <laughs> yeah. fucking good. Yellow yeah, jackets was surprisingly like um I, I was people had been talking about it, but there had there were so many people in it that I loved, like Christina Ricci and um who else am I forgetting that I love so much that was really great in Yellow Jackets. The other '90s star, Juliet Juliet Lewis. Oh right! Oh my God! Is she still mm. a Scientologist? I don't know. Is she a Scientologist? Ugh. God, I would hate. I'm pretty that. sure. Wait, who is it? Juliet Ju- Lewis. Ju- Juliet Lewis. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if she's still. She... No, no. I maybe not. Did she maybe get not. out? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Because I like love her. This is really. Oh, she's yeah. so good in that. She's so you know, like she always nails it. I'm just like, why, <laughs> why that? Piece? Elizabeth Moss, like she always nails it too, and she's a goddamn right. Scientologist. Like, like she'll That's leave the room if I did she, not know that. She will leave the room if Leah Rem- Remini walks in. 
I love Lily. Oh, yeah. You know that. Lily, I want to hang out with her. She is fucking Okay, hilarious. I want to hang out with Leah Remini because that, that show she did, that was. She has she a podcast. A well, they have a podcast. Mike Rinder and uh, Leah Remini have a podcast. Us. Yeah, good, because she really did a nice. good job with that. They all, that yeah, but yeah, there's a Scientology. It's not Scientology, the aftermath. It's, uh, it, it's, but yeah, they, they mm-hmm. yeah, it, that's good. a good one. That's a yeah, good one. Good. Well, ladies, in wrapping up, is there anything that we've covered so much? I really feel like I had a master class. You gave me so so many things thinking about and like <laughs> themes and just That's our job, to, ma'am. I know. But also like ways to think about my own writing and like community yeah. and do you have any um any parting thoughts? Any um, I feel like we should all stay connected too because there's definitely oh, for sure. some sort of. I want Ava. Mm-hmm. I want Ava on Stay Scary once we're back up and running. Oh, thank you. Although you may awesome. listen to a couple of episodes and go, "Fuck no, these bitches are crazy." <laughs> no, come on now. You know you can't. You can't scare me or put me off. I like Terrifier. <laughs> yeah, that's Stop the thing. The if you like Terrifier, then you are my people. Yeah. Lisa's yeah. got a Mothman hat on right now, so I have a Mothman hat, and then I'm wearing my I Heart True Crime, which is an actual heart. really, and it's uh, from my friend Angel has a, a podcast called Crime of the Truest Kind, which uh, deals with crimes Ooh. in the New England area. Uh, Ooh, I might check that out. It's a good one. It's a good one. She just re-released uh, a two-part episode about the Station Nightclub fire because oh, um, it's, it's the okay. anniversary of that. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, Angel is really good. She was a DJ, a uh, professional DJ on, I think it was ZLX for yes. a long time. And um, she's huge in the music scene. And um, She's got a great radio voice. She's got a great radio voice. And, uh, yeah, Crime of the Truest Kind is a great uh, podcast. Yeah. So not to put anyone on the spot, but would you would you want to do a reading? Do you anybody feel like they would like a, a, a three-card tarot? Are you in a space where you would do it? How are you feeling? Um, I'm a little addled. Um, I can certainly try. Um, okay. it's, it's best when I'm, you know, uh, not full of... Um, horror (laughs) (laughs) don't well don't don't do it if you don't feel it all right well let me just shuffle okay talk amongst yourselves yourselves. you know would you want would you want her to do it for you or do you want her to do it for me i'll draw three of swords again yeah no kidding (laughs) if you do i'm gonna like that's gonna be funny as fuck freaking all right all right Okay, she's throwing the cards. All right, so your first card um, is Knight of Swords. And um, I'm doing this for you, Felicia. Um, So your first card is Knight of Swords. Um, Your second card is the High Priestess. Your third card is Queen of Wands. So it's a lot of feminine, it's a lot of feminine energy. in these cards with, yeah uh, that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah that definitely makes sense um i mean i can just say right now with queen of wands representing your future that's very positive um that's uh that's being in control um and the high mm. priestess is definitely um 
and you know, and it's, and it's you know, it's easy for me to say this because I know you and I know what what's going on. But like the fact that I drew the high priestess for your current situation with you just getting a new job, okay, is interesting. Um, yeah, it's not a very great reading because again, I'm I'm a little addled right now. Just talking She's about all horror. Up. I'm all jacked up talking about horror, and I need to be sort of like. And, and I, I didn't really get a chance to go into the right headspace to do that. I didn't. That's sell, still I didn't, interesting. I didn't put myself into self hypnosis and go into uh, go into alpha, <laughs> into my alpha state. Um, I am a uh, a witch in the Cabot tradition, Lori Cabot, the witch of Salem. Uh, so I am a second degree priestess, um, and I have taken. Uh, a number of classes with Lori, and I actually did um, a tarot reading in the Cabot tradition, uh, which was like five days, five consecutive days of like doing read, doing people. F- there was two days of like going through all of the the you know like the suits, or, and uh, yeah, and then there the, the last day was just me sitting in Zoom doing cold readings, like wow. of people just coming in. And it was really kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, Lori Cabot, look her up. She's fantastic. Um, she's got, you know, hopefully a, at least a couple of more years on this side of the veil. She's in her 80s. Wow. Um, but like what an amazing life she's had. Yeah. She was an exotic dancer in, really? uh, yeah, in, in, in Boston. Uh, there's some like hot ass pictures of her from when she was dancing in like the 50s um, and 60s. And then, you know, then she moved to Salem and uh, really became, you know, she came out as a witch um, and has been teaching. And uh, I admire that. It's definitely a sense of like embracing the, the idea of crone to like. Oh, yeah. That, that wisdom that comes with. um Mm-hmm. embracing who you are and what you're interested in mm-hmm. and also not giving any fucks like i have very like i can't say that i don't care what people think completely but I, i'm right. trying really it's more and more embracing for me not giving the fucks now that i'm yeah. now that i'm on the other side of 50 um it the, there is definitely um less of me caring but you know I won't lie, i'll still look at a picture of myself there's some pictures that came out from the bikini whale show that we just did this week and i'm just like oh my god look at that double chin oh christ and i just have to i'm just like you know what I'm, i got i got the zoom filters that make me look cute with like lipstick and like oh and tiktok is full <laughs> tiktok is full of like those filters that you can use and make you give yourself eyelashes give yourself a full face of makeup and nobody okay. nobody knows that like you're just totally haggard. Yeah, TikTok is pretty, it's pretty like terrible really awful. that way. Lisa is a TikTok um um uh fiend. She's got all kinds of duets going. And my fifteen year old stepdaughter said, Lisa has like more than a thousand followers on TikTok. I have like four thousand and that's like that's really not that big of a deal in the in the She was as, impressed by it. it well, I that, guess that's in TikTok world. In yeah. TikTok world, you know, like, you know, the big guns are the ones who have like right. ten million followers. Yeah. Like like Selena Spooky Boo, who is awesome. She owns a hearse. I like I aspire to to Selena. 
Um, (laughs) And she has like amazing, she has like cameras throughout her house. And so so she'll sometimes uh, put together TikToks of her sleepwalking. Her sleepwalking videos are legendary, though. She's so funny. Is she, it is there like a creepy talk? I think there's like creepy talk. Oh, there's creepy talk, and yeah. I follow a few creepy talk uh, people. Yeah. You know, I like, straddled the line with witch talk, creepy talk, Gen X talk. Yep. Um, I'm into clean talk, so I like clean cleaning TikTok videos. Ugh. I love when it's like you know dirty, and then people clean it, and the, the before and afters. I love yes. that. Yeah, I, I, you know, there, there's something satisfying to that. And what I definitely try not to do, because there's also, like, any like anything else in social media, and that's a horror movie all unto itself, um, that there right. are beefs between, like, large creators, especially in the social justice world on TikTok. Like, I'm seeing, like, all of these, like, creators that, like, I really actually admire what they're doing and how they're using their platforms, but right now they're all just fighting with each other and doxing and fucking doxing each other, and it's just, like... Which is not helpful. Like, not helpful at all, so I just sort of... Not moving any... Anything moving in any direction. Stay over on my side of TikTok with, like, you know, making stupid fucking videos about, like, you know, candy and... I don't know. You tell me what you I had. Mean. You had a filter on where you were a guy, and I really admired your. Um, oh, that was horrifying because I looked like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't. Oh, you're ooh, like, I don't love this. I don't, I don't love this. <laughs> I don't love this. My dad is a good-looking guy. You know, he's he'll probably be listening to this because my parents support me in all of my various disgusting inve- endeavors. Absolutely, this I is have not no dis- idea why these people. This is not me, disgusting, but, but my dad is in his eighties. You know, you can't, you couldn't kill him with an axe. He still does like a hundred push-ups every morning. Um, but I don't want to look. You know, like seeing that filter, I was just like, <laughs> holy Jesus, fuck! I always thought I looked like my mother. <laughs> Felicia looks fucking more like my mother than I do. I do. There's pictures of Lisa's mother, and I'm like, oh and my she gets God. identified by TikTok. <laughs> like TikTok will take a picture of Felicia uh, and automatically like identify her as my mother, and I'm like, this is fucking hell. Um, we must have some genes in common. It, well, you know, well, although you know, I did my 23andMe, and there was like just absolutely no surprises there. So it's like 97 percent Irish and then like 1.7 percent Ashkenazi Jew and then like you know indeterminate European I am white (laughs) have you ever done anything like that the 23andMe or um one of the others like what the where you get the DNA you do the DNA and you get your ancestry ancestry. oh no 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 I don't know. It has like a. I'm. It's a I'm little probably a conspiracy theorist. No, it's a little people, big brother. I, it's a little big brother. It's a little weird, and it's like because it's under the guise of you simply oh innocence. Like I've seen that one too many times, in America. You like trying to be like oh this is an innocent thing. Meanwhile, like we find out it was like not at all. I don't know. It just feels weird. So no. Yeah. But a no. couple of years ago, my aunt worked on a family tree, and she shared, like, a bunch of stuff with us about our family. Oh, that's That's something cool. that we've been trying to, yeah, we've been trying to, like, repeat it, um, mm-hmm. have, like, meetings where we kind of just 
give a history of our family to each other. So that's been cool. But yeah, I guess they just did research, but I've never done anything like the, the ancestry or the one the other one where you send it in to figure out what your food allergies are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's all being kept. And actually, if you if you watch um, Archive 81, they sort of actually uh, tap into the whole really? ancestry kits and how they keep all of your information. And listen, I know some batshit conspiracy theories that are going on right now, but conspiracy theories wouldn't be conspiracy theories and people wouldn't be so into them if they weren't that element of truth about it exactly i'm like and 90 percent of the things that 10 years ago people were screaming were conspiracy we now know that they happen so it's like conspiracy to what point listen listen to um if you don't listen to last podcast on the left they're uh, in the middle of uh, i think they're like on part three or part four of a series on mk ultra What's oh yeah, I mean that's that's the reason why so many people um, are so anti-government and have this deep distrust of what the government is doing is because of MK Ultra, yeah. where they were dosing like you know dosing people with you know because they were basically trying to create a Manchurian candidate situation yep. where they could like you know. Use the power tested on um, people in the army, or yep, people in the army, prisoners, drug addicts. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, listen. Yeah, I know some people like the anti-vaxxers and 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 people who like subscribe to the whole QAnon thing. And like, there was there's this thing now that Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's illegitimate child. You know, like you cannot be serious. Oh no, no, look that shit up. There are people who actually believe. That Justin Fidel Trudeau is, is Fidel Castro's son. Well, the right. birds aren't real kind of thing. <clears throat> like, and JFK Jr. is coming back, back and yes. he's going to be Trump's running mate. Yes, I've heard that. He's not really dead. <laughs> I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> We've devolved. Oh, well, I could talk about QAnon lunatics for like hours and what they yeah. believe in. It's crazy shit. Apparently. Do your research. <laughs> I know my body. Yes, so. Bitch, research is not sitting in front of like, you know, your computer watching YouTube videos until three o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah, it sure isn't. It sure is I've isn't. done my okay. research and I've seen pictures of Justin Trudeau and Fidel <laughs> Castro and there's a physical resemblance. Like that's all you got? Your personal? Okay. I saw it on YouTube. I heard that. Alex Jones. Oh my God. You're killing me. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this with us, crazy people. I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. I hope we haven't scared you away. I look forward to uh, reading more of your work and seeing you out there in the Thank world. You. And um, uh, yeah, again, I just appreciate it. Anything in, yeah. in closing anyone would like to say that's not a conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> I am JFK Jr. Um, and Justin Trudeau. And and I fucked Fidel Castro. I hope it, hope it was in the ass, okay? Ho! 
Um, no, I, I mean, I don't have anything really um, going on. Uh, we, we still need a, a name for, for my band. Um, Do you have anything you would like to throw at us, Ava? Um, no, I guess just be curious, watch horror, give yourself a chance to get into it. Have a good time. It's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yes. Running on empty. It's early morning and I think almost dawn. A glimmer of hope flashes across my consciousness. Then I remember where I am. Still groggy, my body and mind are slow to wake up. I blink and squint through the windshield at the overly cheerful sunshine burning through the cracks in the trees. Ground, frog, <laughs> ground fog drifts across the road. I breathe out a heavy sigh. The car dings as I turn the key in the ignition to use the battery. I push the window button and the slow mechanical hum breaks the quiet sound of birds. Inhaling the woody taste of earth and pine, I cough a little as it, the smell tickles the back of my throat. I light a cigarette listening for the crackle of tobacco and paper as the end ignites. I breathe in the smoke and familiar, slightly metallic taste. I await the rush of nicotine and blood pulses in my head. With one hand, I rub the back of my neck. It feels like a rocky landscape that needs excavation. Trying to relieve some tension, I extend and flex my hands while dangling the cigarette on my lip. I roll my head in a circle and cracks reverberate through my head. Recheck the gas gauge, E, still means empty. Somewhere along the way, I made a mistake, took a wrong turn and messed things up again. I take a last drag, blow the smoke out the cracked window and flick my cigarette out the window. I check the time on my phone, 5.38 a.m. For most people, this is the hour of responsible time to rise and engage in the day's pursuits. However, my argument is that I can only agree to be awake this early if I'm still up from the night before. Being awake all night is keeping rock and roll hours, but I am not sensible or responsible these days. Keeping late night hours is a bad habit that still lingers. I have many of these bad habits I'm trying to break. He is one of them. Shifting in my seat, I look down at the phone and notice I have a little bit of phone reception. I start texting. Me, you up? A, sort of, some parts more than others. What are you doing, cutie? Me, missing your face and other parts. A, where are you? Me, not sure. Good question, where am I? Driving all night, I was sure about my intended destination, clear about my own personal mission, what was going to happen once I arrived? Well, that was unclear. I must have missed a sign or didn't follow the road right. I fucked it all up again. The rental car smells. What did people do to this car to accumulate this collection of odors? Someone probably had sex in this car. Someone's kid threw up. Someone transported a stinky, wet, ill-behaved dog that licked the windows. Or maybe that was the kid. Someone greedily gobbled fast food and discarded the wrappers carelessly on the floor. That's what a rental car is for, right? I am pissed at myself. How did I end up here in a dead end, terrible shortcut and ran out of gas kind of place? I want to be one of those women who can rebound, pick themselves up and forge ahead with steel and grace. 
Instead, I shrink down in my seat and pout like a child. I'm tired of being propelled forward by my heart without thinking things through. I've run out of gas. I start to weigh my options, work through a plan. I could abandon the car and find a gas station, maybe flag down a ride from a non-serial killer stranger if I could find one, text him to come and get me. He might or me might not. I could go, I could wait for something else to happen that compels me to act. You know what? This list sucks. I can hear the humming of the bugs in the trees signaling the rise in temperature. My legs start to sweat behind my knees. My limbs feel heavy and my heart pounds. My body has started to become part of the car. I think my life needs a jump start. How fucking stupid am I renting a car and driving all night to see a man that doesn't pay half as much attention to me as I do to him? I'm chasing an image of what I have in my head and what I think I want this to be. I'm eating air. It makes me uncomfortably full and gives me gas. I need something to sustain me for the long haul. Staring at my reflection in the rearview mirror, I see how tired, drained, and yet determined I am. I look at my phone one more time. Yep, no signal. No one's coming to rescue me. I guess it's time. I exit the vehicle and start walking. My feet don't really feel attached to the rest of my body. The ground fog and mist float by, making me feel like every horror movie I've ever watched. I wander off the path and into a clearing because I can smell what I think is breakfast smells. It's the cartoon hand with the wispy fingers outstretched tickling my nose. I suddenly realize everything is quiet. No birds, no wind, no cars. I can hear my own heart beating in my ears. I slowly turn in 360 to see where I am, and it all looks the same. The same rocks, the same trees, the same mist. I walk with determination to the edge of the clearing and the fog seems denser. I stop abruptly, feeling unable to go further. I turn sharply and walk straight in the other direction, across from where I just came. The earth and the twigs crunch under my feet. I stop abruptly again by the wall of fog. There's a large stone in the middle of the clearing, and I sit down, suddenly feeling super tired again. I pat my pockets for my cigarettes, and I realize I've left them in the car. The walk, the rock is warm and still moist from morning dew. I run my hands over the rough edges. I hear some wind chimes and turn my head and realize there's a cabin down near a lake of some sort. As I walk towards it, I see a flagstone path and a beautiful wildflower garden. There's a multitude of colors like purple, gold, red, magenta that are offset by verdant green of the forest. Someone was intentional with this planting. The butterflies lazily flitting from flower to flower as they, fic they are fickle and looking for a better dance partner. I wave my hands over the flowers and they spring to life with bees, dragonflies, and all sorts of colors. I hear music and realize my arms are making the sounds. I had a toy when I was younger that was a red plastic tube about an arm's length and it was made of an accordion hose. When I swung it around my head, it would make a wong wong and the faster I swung, the higher the sound. Now my arms are making this sound. I test it out and swing my arms in a circle above my head and I hear the Wung, 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 familiar sound. I realize the flowers are alive. They're a moving Monet painting, an ocean wave of blended colors, one phasing into the next. There's a silly map by the front door that says welcome, but it's upside down. I suddenly feel a jolt of electricity and realize one of the butterflies has landed on me. 
It's sparkly and tickles as it explores my arm. I look towards the front door and realize it is a beautiful red, like the lips on a face. I put my hand on the handle and push it open. Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan, and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Technical support by Heather McCormick. Our sound editing is done by Sully Banger. Social media maven, previous guest, and my online content guru is Rachel Lento. Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and most platforms a podcasts are found. Please take a moment to like, download, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Hi Felicia or our guest or how to support this podcast, you can visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or www.feliciaryan.com, which is F-E-L-I-C-I-A-R-Y-A-N. And again, thanks for listening.